0: We are, it's more than just a chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode 23 of Lion
1: Legacy. The Michael Jordan of episodes, Jared. Anytime number 23 comes up, you got to think of MJ. There's no other number that you would associate with Michael
0: Jordan than 23, except 45, right? <laughs> uh, well, now you're
1: getting <laughs> into the weeds here.
0: <laughs> hey, let's touch on a big story, uh, an important one. We actually have a lot of pride around and Penn State pride.
1: Carl Nassib. I think it's great. We give him a lot of props for being honest and being open. And a lot of the feedback I've seen on the social channels was very positive. I think it was great that the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, came out and supported him and the Raiders organization and the coach. And James Franklin put out a statement and also gave a donation to the same organization that Carl Nassib gave some money to. It's all wonderful. Look, you we're here, we're open-minded, we're supportive, and I, I think it's just, a, it's just a wonderful story, and I think it shows that the world is hopefully, in that regard, moving into a, a better place.
0: This is what we need. We need the visibility, we need the representation, and Carl was and is a true leader. Even yeah. at Penn State, he was a leader on the field, but his legacy will actually be what he did in terms of sharing his message, and I think it probably will change a lot of other athletes. Hopefully, in sports now, he's not the only one. There's a lot more out there that unfortunately are, are hiding, and I think Carl is is hopefully helping normalize it, and not only from another athlete perspective, but just society as a whole.
1: Yeah yeah and and I'm sure he's going to experience some challenges. there are some the call on the haters out there, which is, is very unfortunate. but I'm hoping that there will be enough concrete support for him and, and who he is that kind of helps to silence the the haters, so to speak. you yeah, know, that's a great story we're we're um, super happy for him and he's he's a great Penn Stater, putting a great name behind the himself and, and the university.
0: love it. Let's transition actually from American football to the other football, European football, which we call soccer here in the U.S., as everyone knows. And we have a great guest this week in Lisa Baird, who is the commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League. Big fan of Lisa, everything that she's been doing in her career. Such an impressive career. P&G, Bristol-Myers Squibb, IBM. And then made a transition actually into the sports world with the NFL, the USOC, and now leading the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL. Uh, I actually took a, a great liking to soccer when I lived over in Spain, became a big Real Madrid fan, such a beautiful sport. And I was there when the the Spanish national team won the World Cup in 2010, which was just a fantastic uh, experience to be in the streets celebrating and partying with so many Spanish people, but also a lot of great admiration for the U.S. women's national team, who has done such an amazing work and had such great success. In the World Cups and the Olympic Games. And now to see Lisa take on this role as commissioner and to grow this sport, not only at the professional level, but how she can impact it even at the grassroots level and what this means for other young girls who are looking to get into sports. So her legacy is tremendous. She is a distinguished alumni that she won this year. We had Dr. Cedric Bryan on a few weeks ago as well. Such a a well-deserved award for both of them and extremely excited to have Lisa share her story. We were quick because she was in the middle of the season right now. So we kept it relatively short, but we're certainly grateful for her coming on and at least spending a little bit of time with us.
1: Yeah, excellent. Yeah, Lisa was wonderful. And again, we thank her for her time. And I I know she's very busy. Uh, So with that, we're going to, Jump on the soccer pitch, and uh, we're going to kick one in the net with Lisa. Enjoy.
0: All right. Let's welcome Lisa Baird, a two-time Penn State graduate, first in 1982 with a bachelor's in English, and then in 1984 with an MBA from the Smeal College of Business. Lisa has an amazing career journey spanning multiple industries, which we'll get into during the podcast. Today, she is the commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League, commonly referred to as the NWSL. I won't name every award she's been honored with because that is a very, very long list. However, just a few. Sports Business Journal's inaugural class of Game Changers, Women in Sport Business, Business Insider's Top 50 Most Innovative Global CMOs, and I certainly can't leave out Distinguished Alumni Award from our dear alma mater. Lisa, we're so excited to have you on. Welcome to Lion Legacy.
2: Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here and back in Happy Valley.
1: Lisa, great to have you on with us. If you look at the beginning of your career, what I would say you had a little bit more of a traditional marketing path at some um, consumer packaged goods powerhouses. You spent some time early on with Procter and Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Bristol Myers Squibb. Then you had roles at General Motors, followed by an SVP role at IBM. Then eventually you pivoted into sports business. At the NFL followed by the United States Olympic Committee and now with the NWSL certainly quite an amazing journey and getting into sports business is not easy but nevertheless it's very desirable for many people how did you do it and how do you think the early part of your career prepared you for your roles in the sports business industry
2: you're going over my CV and the first thing that strikes me is I can't hold a job (laughs) it's not I'm like okay I can't hold a job. No, seriously. There's a lot of twists and turns when it comes to your career. Sometimes you make professional choices, sometimes you make personal choices. And certainly as a mom of three, I've had those, those choices to make in my life. I got recruited from uh, business school, it's Neil, by Procter & Gamble. To this day, one of the Best decisions I ever made was to join PG. They're just a powerhouse, and I am in touch with a lot of their alumni. They teach you how to think, they teach you how to frame things, they teach you incredible basic skills financial, logistics, creative, branding, operational, sales. Like it just is something I kept going back to in my life. But I did go through a lot of industries, and that's a little unusual. Most people will pick an industry and they might change jobs, but they don't float so much back and forth between industries. And Look, that was challenging. You had to go into places where there's an entirely different business model and learn a whole new everything, culture, language, business model, stakeholders, et cetera. And it frankly, it wasn't until the latter half of my career that I that, as you said, I went into sports. And again, behind the scenes, throughout all my career positions, there were people that I worked for that kept hiring me at new companies. So I think I'll take that as maybe I didn't do such a crazy job after all. And so it was really fun to go work for people in different industries and follow them.
0: You got the power of the Penn State network that we always talk about and the power of your career network that you develop as you go throughout your, your journey. So well done there, certainly, and speaks very highly to who you are as a person and the type of leader you are.
2: And by the way, I have a niece and a nephew at Penn State right now. All right. I have to pay it forward now. Talk about
0: Lion Legacy, the name of our podcast, Living Proof right there. It it certainly wouldn't be an interview today, right, if we didn't ask you about the the pandemic. And we have a great partnership with the Daily Collegian where students submit questions for our guests, and then we choose one. This week's question comes from Cameron Pika, a senior studying finance. And Cameron wants to know, What was the most difficult challenge as commissioner of the NWSL while a worldwide pandemic was happening?
2: It's very hard to conduct live sports in a pandemic. You know, the COVID-19 is a highly infectious disease and you're trying to pull off a industry where it's a contact sport. So soccer is a contact sport. You're in stadiums where people are jostling up against one another in 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. It's a large-scale mass event, and you're dealing with a business model that requires personal interactions. Every decision was difficult. Look, every industry had its issues adapting to the pandemic. Look at universities. You guys had issues, right? But the mechanism there to teach online and be able to be virtual was there. We had to create an entirely new model in sports. We couldn't go virtual the way that you could in learning. Like, I think everything that we had to do to create a live sports experience for our players, for competition, had to be recreated.
0: You did a fantastic job with that and saw quite a a number of successes come out of that So well done there. I want to shift a little bit. You've worked, as we discussed, for so many market leaders in a number of different industries, and then, of course, the NFL and mega powerhouses. Do you feel like leading the NWSL forces you to be more innovative in your approach to how you structure and market the
2: league? Definitely. You have to be innovative. Where people will automatically compare every league to each other. People will say, oh, NFL major league baseball, NHL, NWSL, WNBA, we're nine years old. (laughs) Like people forget that they're comparing the NFL, which is 101 to someone who's nine years old. So there's a burden of proof there that is really different. We're still growing into and professionalizing our league. And I've been very honest and open about that. We're still working on the things that bigger leagues have been more um, entrenched. Take for granted, this year is the first year that our manager director, US Soccer, was not our manager. We're operating independently. So you need to do all the work necessary to professionalize the league and make sure it's operating according to standards. And that's heightened in today's world. And it's heightened in the pandemic, rightfully so. Players and others are asking for higher standards in a pandemic. So it's definitely been a challenging time. And I don't sit there and take our successes for granted any way, shape, or form.
1: Lisa, speaking about the the league at a high level, it's amazing to see the number of celebrities and star athletes that have invested in the MWSL clubs. To name a couple, Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, the tennis stars, as well as Olympic gold medalist Kendall Coyne Schofield. And So it's quite an impressive list, and I, I understand there's plenty more out there. So what's your pitch? Why, when you're speaking with uh, potential investors, why NWSL?
2: Well, I think the first thing is, and, and it's not because they're celebrities. I think they're interested in good investments, solid investments. So I make the case of why we're a good long-term investment, and I'm going to stress long-term. A lot of people will say, oh my God, everybody's investing it. Let's get it. But a a league by its nature, a a sport team, is a long-term investment. The Maras have owned the New York Giants for 100 years. You know, these are owners that are in this for the long-term. It's like Penn State. You have a long-term strategy. So I always invest the long-term and people that are the best fit with our league that are thinking about it. You're seeing athletes investing in athletes. You're seeing women investing in women. But there's a lot of heck of a really good business owners that are investing in us and I think you just saw that with Mark Wolf the owner of the Minnesota Vikings now buying the Orlando Pride. So there you have it. I think where our future looks bright, but not every issue is uncovered. We still get a lot of lot, a lot of hard work to do.
0: Fantastic. You're among a number of prominent women leaders in the sports business industry. Kathy Engelbert, commissioner of the WNBA. Val Ackerman, commissioner of the Big East Conference. Sarah Hirschland, CEO of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And of course, Billie Jean King, just to name a few.
2: And Sandy Um, Barber, athletic director of Penn State University.
0: That too. Who else is part of your kind of go-to group?
2: Well, I don't just hang out with women executives. Sure. I'm just going to anybody who can give me good advice and mentorship. I spend a lot of time with my owners. They're um, terrifically good to work with. They're easy. They're smart. They're men and women. I spent last week um, with my new owners in Kansas City, Angie and Chris Long, and I think they're terrific. So I spent a lot of time with owners. At times, I'll call a commissioner or two for some advice. I don't say who it is, but you know, sometimes you just want someone that's in that seat that can give you some advice. I've had mentors along the way, business people. So I think the key with a forward-looking commissioner is a broad aperture and talking to a lot of people. I do think that's important um, because our world is changing a lot. But as a woman leader, I'm also really cognizant that I've got to set the example. So instead of looking up at all the people that are in the positions of power above me, I really try and spend a lot of time mentoring and helping develop a lot of people, but women who want to have a career in sports. And hence this kind of podcast. That's why it's so important to me is that you're a very important window into the life of a student that I care very deeply about.
1: Speaking about some of the other hot topics in women's sports, I'm sure there's plenty of them. Viewership, equitable pay, sponsor support, women in prominent front office positions, facilities, the list can go on. But to put a finer point to it, What are some of the critical steps that we need to take to get there? And how does it change in that arena? How do we make those strides as far as all those issues?
2: Well, you just tackle them. Like It's like everything. Look, women's sports are nascent, We're even though we've been around for a long time. And what I try and do is I say, look, there's a couple of organizations that are really doing it well. The International Olympic Committee is one of them that's doing really well. They cover women's sports almost at the same level of men's sports. They really do if you look on that. But I think one of the challenges we have is the fact that not a lot of media covers women's sports. That is an uphill battle for us. So about 5% of all sports media is against women's sports. That's way too low. Maybe it isn't 50%. But it sure as heck higher than 5%. So once you start getting the media to cover women's sports and what's happening, and I'm not just talking about an interview with the commissioner, but who's at the top of the table, what's going on. It's not just the stories. It's every day, the competition. Those are kinds of things that will develop fans, they'll develop audience, then sponsors come, then You have monetization of broadcast agreements. Those are the things that will really fundamentally alter the trajectory. So I really start with doing a lot of talking about, you know, women's sports to actually the media, Ross and Jared. Like I was on that today. Why aren't you covering women's sports? Why aren't there more journalists covering the women's sports beat? Where are we on the ticker ESPN? And where is that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why is that? I don't know. Is the sport as good? Heck yeah. In some sports, it sure is. I would put our soccer game against any soccer game out there in the United States today. I think it's that good.
1: Absolutely. And all valid points. I'm going to shift a little bit here. Um, I read a quote of yours. It said, quote, you're always coming to the table trying to convince or compel someone. And so that got the, the light bulb going on for me. And I wanted you to think about some of the people that you've worked with or negotiated with over the years. Is there a particular one particular instance where When you got up from the proverbial table, you were proud of how you convinced or compelled the other party.
2: Oh, God. There's so many. Sometimes, you know, it's in an interview. Like, let me tell you, getting into business school at Penn State, I did a good interview and got in. That was a pretty seminal moment for me. Sure. I was 20 years old, uh, no work experience. And, I guess I said the right thing in my interview. There are other ones that are really important. I'll, I'll give you one that I don't often talk about, and I'm, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to do it. In 2016, there was a documentary coming out, and it was a documentary about the 1936 American Olympic Team USA that was led by Jesse Owens that went to the um, games in Germany and at the end of every games it's always tradition for team usa to be invited to the white house that's the tradition it's been the tradition for many years only the 17 african americans who are on the 1936 olympic team were not invited to the white house because they were black mm-hmm. and i learned about the documentary that was going to debut and i worked with p&g our sponsor at the time And I really worked at the White House and I said, we've got to make this wrong, right? We've got to have the descendants of the 1936 team go to the White House. And it's hard. The White House is the White House. They have a lot going on. It was enough to get all the members of the Rio 2016 team into the White House. It's hundreds of athletes. It's not like you have one team going, the NCAA champions. It's hundreds of athletes. And I convinced them. We made the case. They said, yep. So we had the descendants of Jesse Owen and all of those incredible athletes of the 36 games accompany the 2016 Olympic and Paralympians to the White House, along with John Carlos and Tommy Smith of 1968. And it was the right thing to do, to say a long time ago in 36 and in 1968, the U.S. Olympic Committee did not do the right thing. And we made that, we made that wrong, right? And it was a moment for the CEO of the Olympic Committee, Scott Blackman, my chairman, Larry Probst, the whole team to celebrate how much these athletes had done for us. That's one that I don't often tell that story, but for me, it's a very personal one and a very proud moment.
0: And definitely a a true leadership moment as well. Maybe this kind of dovetails off that, but among everything that you've accomplished and all the experiences over the years, are there one or two that stand out above the rest?
2: Let's see. (laughs) I have two of my three kids that are (laughs) (laughs) self-sufficient. That's
0: That's a great accomplishment as well. Absolutely.
2: Like they're really good. They're really good on their own. I think the fact that at my heart, I've always been a marketer and a brander, and I think there's a couple things that stand out, having had the opportunity to work on some of the most iconic brands in the world, because brands sometimes can be forever, and so if you have a chance to change them, and one of the things that I was really proud to do, and this was with the U.S. Olympic Committee, is we were coming in at a time, and the Olympians were over here, and the Paralympians were over here. They were different, and it was very hard to market them the same way. And I crafted a whole strategy to say, you know what, guys, let's get behind another brand called Team USA. And we created the brand Team USA. We did all the things you need to, to create the protections of brand, to market a brand, to get people to accept the brand. But the reason that I love the brand so much, and to this day, I think it'll go down as being as a branding person or marketer, one of my proudest accomplishments is, well, Olympians and Paralympians are not the same, they're equal. And I think that's a thing that in today's conversation gets lost a lot. People talk to me about what is equality? What is that? Well, things can be not the same and that's okay. We are at the NWSL, we're an incredibly diverse, exciting league and we're very proud of that, but we can be equal, right? We can treat everybody with respect and acknowledgement and honor. And I think that I hope that when Team USA continues on its way and 50 years from now or 75 years old, there's some brand person or some associate working on it. I hope they remember that lesson that it all started with Olympians and Paralympians and making that brand accessible to everybody.
0: Very powerful as well. So we're going to put you now in the lion's Then brought to you by our friends at lion's pride and yeah. reminisce about your time at Penn State. Just yeah. remember when you want to show off your Penn State pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. All right, Lisa,
1: first question How has Penn State prepared you for this career that we've discussed today and all of your impressive accomplishments?
2: Well, I think, you know what, not that I even knew it at the time when I went to Penn State, because I went, I tried out for the volleyball team. I think I tried out with Ross Love. I was on the team for 20 minutes, 20 hot minutes. I was cut from the team. but I got attracted to it. A lot of people do it as an incredible sports school. But inevitably, I went for the academics, and I was one of the original students who got into now, which is the Schreier's Honors Program. But then it was called the University Scholars Program. So I'd have to say this. While Penn State is known as this incredible place to go to school, an incredible student experience, I love the sports. I couldn't be prouder of all that Penn State has accomplished across all their sports. The academic that I got, particularly in that very early rendition of the Schreier Honor School, really, really prepared me for a a long-term career. It really did. Very disciplined, very rigorous, very hard. And I think that any Schreier's Honors alumni would tell you that.
0: Very true. Toughest question of the podcast. Favorite Penn State memory?
2: Gaff.
1: (laughs) Without hesitation.
2: Does anybody say anything different?
1: Usually, it's uh, football games, right? We've had some others, but that's oh, I good. Love
2: football games. Uh, but uh, by the way, I went to more volleyball games at Penn State than I went to football games. So I went basketball, field hockey, volleyball. Like I, I enjoyed it all, and I did go to my sense of football games. But I will say this: the Shandy gaff. Come on, nothing is more Penn State than the gaff. <laughs>
1: Love it. Lisa, if you could visit with yourself as an 18 year old freshman entering Penn State for the first time, what, looking back, what advice would you have given yourself?
2: I was a little different than the people coming to Penn State. I was from, I grew up overseas and then did my high school in Long Island. So I was like a New Yorker coming to Penn State, a little different, not hugely different. Now I think there's a more diverse population, but I was a little different. And I was very intimidated. I was very quiet and shy. It was really a big campus. It was hard to acclimate. And I was like afraid to kind of dip in the water. So I stayed in my comfort zone the first couple years that I was there. But now I would urge people like be confident, try new things. And I wish I had done that earlier because I graduated so quickly and went into business school. And I think I would have just done a couple of more fun courses, tried more things. And so don't be afraid to try things that are not in your comfort zone, even if they're not going to, like, I think kids today, they spend all their moments worrying about what their job is, what their career is. Don't worry about it. Take a course in philosophy, do something different. Just try to learn and enjoy.
0: Great advice there. Lisa, thank you so much for fitting us in that you're a very busy schedule. We are no doubt So sure that you are the perfect person to lead the NWSL, not only because you are a Penn Stater, but you are a true game changer in the industry for so many years, have accomplished so much, and we're confident that you will continue to accomplish so much more with the NWSL. Wish you a continued success. And we always end with, we are
2: Penn State.
1: Lion Legacy is a Baruta production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.